0: the Time Podcast. This is a podcast all about doing content differently. I'm your host Fiona and I am a content writer and content manager over at Indie Essentials. Today on the podcast I am chatting to Nick Parker who is a tone of voice expert. If you've googled tone of voice at all you will definitely have come across Nick's company that explains things and his voice box. Nick is here today to chat all about tone of voice and the voice box plus a little bit about newsletters as well so I will get straight into it
1: Uh, how did I get from publishing to tone of voice? I got there via horse whispering.
0: Horse whispering.
1: Yeah. So it goes like this. So I was working in magazines and publishing. I really liked it, but um, there wasn't very much money in it at the tiny literary magazine end of things. Um, I was sort of looking for something different to do. My wife, who, had, who was a graphic designer, had got interested in horse whispering. horse whispering is basically behavioural psychology um, for horses. Uh, But horses are wired differently to all the other animals that humans tend to interact with a lot. So, you know, cats and dogs are uh, predators like we are. So we understand the same sort of reward systems and blah, blah, blah. Horses are flight animals. They're like deer. They're programmed to run away, uh, safety in large herds, blah, blah, blah um so she like we would just we every night we'd be talking about behavioral psychology and we'd be talking about horse whispering and through that Sam got involved in working with like uh leadership coaches who would use horse whispering as a way of you know working with people you know put put a CEO in a field with a horse and tell the CEO to get the horse from that corner to that corner. The horse doesn't know you're the CEO. So what are you gonna do? And I was just like, this is much more interesting than the editing <laughs> and commissioning illustrators and doing the stuff I was doing. And I was like, how, what's the way to do similar sorts of work, but with writing? So that was in my head. Uh, and then I saw an ad for the writer. Uh, uh, so writer are, you know, a, language writing agency did a lot of training a lot of tone of voice work i had no idea what tone of voice was never heard the phrase before um but they had this just lovely little ad in the tiny little box in the back of the guardian going hello we're you know a gang of writers looking for people to train writing like so i thought maybe workshops like writing workshops super interesting maybe that's a way of like combining psychology writing I'm just getting out from behind my desk more, which would be nice because I'd spent 10 years just typing at a desk. Um, so I went for an interview with the writer. Uh, we really got on. Uh so it's like some miracle they hired me, given that A, I had never worked with a business. I didn't really know what an agency was. <laughs> Just like it didn't occur to me for ages when they talked about being agency or client side, I didn't really know what that meant. I just sort of ignored it, uh, and I'd never ru- I'd never been in a corporate workshop, let alone run one. Uh, obviously, the writer saw this as an advantage, not a disadvantage. Uh, so I joined the writer as a trainer, and a lot of the training was based on you know they helped brands find a tone of voice, and then we would like help bring that to life and help them train it. Um, Which So that's sort of how I got involved, and it's also why, like, there is something, let me start this sentence again, Uh, a lot of what tends to go wrong with tone of voice is it's, you know, you just get a couple of pages in a brand guidelines which are like, voice is this, because it's just created, and it's nice ideas, but it doesn't have much substance to it, but if you're the person who's then got to take that into an organisation and run a workshop, for people who are all staring at you going, come on then, what the hell is this all about? You've properly got to make it work. Like, what really is this? How does this apply to the actual things these people are going to write? And how do you, like, how do you just go through the sort of nice platitudes of, you know, use contractions or write conversationally and work out what that specifically means in detail? So I think it's something for me of, that's broadly how I got involved, but it's also why I take it seriously is because if you've got to train it every day, you've just got to make sure it bloody well works. <laughs> That's quite a long answer to a simple question, wasn't it?
0: No, but it was a good answer. And it does lead nicely into, for the uninitiated, what is tone of voice and why do the businesses need it?
1: Oh, right, OK. So we should start there, really. Yeah, i will start
0: there.
1: <laughs> so tone of voice is like, what you sound like, you know, there is what you say, there are the content, you know, and the messages, and then there is how you say it, broadly speaking. Like, obviously, they're always slightly interconnected, but tone of voice is what, like, the how you say it bit, what's your vibe, what's your attitude, what particular vocabulary do you use? I think it tends to be, even still now, like, more often about writing than it is about actually spoken voice, but there's, you know, lots of crossover. so yeah what's your brand look like in writing
0: do you think it should be bringing in more what you say given that there is more video content being produced
1: yeah yes broadly speaking i think i mean it's often about the more scripted stuff isn't it the stuff where you're deliberately trying to shape the impression you make to a greater or lesser degree um but I think there's there has been a tendency from brands to go, you know, we want to make sure, you know, everyone who answers the phone for us answers in our tone of voice. And that always just feels like that's just really complicated, because as soon as you start trying to legislate people's language when they're talking, um, like, then it just... the the possibilities for that going wrong are so big you know it ends up being really stilted or scripted so you can broadly speaking I guess hire people who are more like your tone of voice you know you've people who would just have the right attitude for your brand but you probably can't do it at the sort of totally unscripted end but yeah if you were doing a little script for a YouTube video you'd want that broadly speaking to match up with the rest of your brand stuff
0: yeah, and I guess if you want people to sound like your brand tone of voice, hire people that align with the values of your brand.
1: Yeah. Which would seem really obvious, but often it doesn't happen.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well often it's sorry, go. On. No, no, go on, go on.
1: I remember working with the, I worked with a utilities company a few years ago. This is the writer. Um, and they had a whole team who they'd hired because they were good on the phones you know really sort of outgoing chatty people and then then move this entire team to be like complaints handling letter writers it was just not only was it is it a completely different skill but it was often part of the reason why they were really good at talking on the phones is because that was how they communicated best they didn't like writing <laughs> didn't like it at school wasn't the skill like you're like oh god you know now you've got a massive challenge here about that your voice in writing because it's a completely different skill
0: they should have just hired people to do the complaint letter writing yeah <laughs> just weird <laughs> really weird so um, i what i want to know is where you've seen brands get the tone of voice wrong i've gone with wrong before getting it right because brands getting it wrong is more fun
1: I was going to say, well, the bad stuff is always more fun, isn't it? Do you know, I was thinking about this, because I thought you might ask. Um, I think the slightly sad answer to this is people don't get it as wrong as they used to. Like, we love it when there's a real car crash. You know, like, what is it, like, ten years ago, Barclays did a terrible impression of trying to make everything sound like innocent drinks. And lots of brands used to be, like, just inappropriately wackajingy. I tend not to do that anymore. There's a sort of... Sense that people get it. In fact, there's an amazing article by Ben Shot that was in can't remember some American publication um, just a few days ago, and he's talking about uh, why all startups, like venture capital startups of a certain type, all sound the same. And he says they have you know the same the same bland visual identity, the same types of messaging, and the same tone of voice. Um, I thought that was really interesting, because it was like, it was the first time I'd seen tone of voice mentioned in a sort of article that could be read by, that was deliberately aimed just at the general public, that didn't then go on to explain what tone of voice was. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Like, it's arrived, finally, as a concept. And I think part of this is just to generally, most brands get it, that your voice... I have a voice that is in the spirit of your brand. I think the things that tend to just still go wrong are um, in when you see writing, and it's just either just weirdly formal, like yeah. just have you not got that that joins up, you know, um, or completely vapid, and like trying to fill a gap with nice writing when you have nothing to say. Um, and like feeling like tone of voice could somehow magically fix that, you know. Yeah. And most copywriters have had that brief. Could you just tone of voice this? <laughs> Where well, what it really needs is. Could you just think of us? Think of something for us to say because we haven't got anything to say. Um, and you're just like it's just never going to fix that.
0: It's true though with the startup thing. That's interesting because I've done, written lots of landing pages for startups, and the worst one I ever had was you need to make this sound more millennial and more exciting <laughs> but you can't use buzzwords and we're writing for five different audiences and you've got to fit it into five words
1: that oh was, no pressure then
0: no pressure though and then then i found out they've been through three other copywriters before getting to me and i'm like okay
1: yeah that's always a red flag <laughs>
0: And they sent me all their notes, and I'm sat there going, I don't really see what was wrong with the first version, the poor first person they had.
1: Oh, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, I, I slightly feel like I should have a more fun answer to that. Um, but I don't.
0: Yeah, that's all right. What's, what does good look like, then? Because this, this is where I said I got a ton of voice guides from Octopus. And I was going to bring it up with you. I'm like, this is a really great tone of voice guide, but you were involved in that process.
1: <laughs> That's so exciting. Um, you know, I like to think that I have high standards and try and make like tone of voice guidelines that are practical and as usable as possible. Uh, so it's actually really, just really good to hear you yeah, actually it was. Um, so, well, partly I should ask you, shouldn't I? What was it about those guidelines that worked for you as a like a, an actual writer needing to use them for writing?
0: The standout bit, there was like two pages of, here's an example of how we could write something, but here's how it should be written. And it was that, this is kind of right, but this is how it
1: really... Oh, nice, yeah. And yeah. sort of
0: dug down into what they were really asking for from me so when i open this at six o'clock in the morning half asleep i'm like right great i know what i'm doing and i believe that that reduced the amount of edits that the work yeah, yeah yeah because straight away i could understand what they were asking for it wasn't meaningless words like if you are brand guides informal and chatty yeah yeah
1: yeah it's
0: what i normally get it's informal and chatty and this is the audience we're trying to meet this was we're putting things on a positive edge if we've got something negative to say we emphasize the positive first but it really was those sentences yeah yeah you write it this way instead of this way
1: that's really interesting so full disclosure I didn't I did work with them and I started that process but then they took it over and like finished it themselves because they were really good at it they knew exactly what they wanted to do but that and I think that's really nice isn't it like It's it's one thing to go here is a bad example and here is a good example. You know, that's helpful. It's even more helpful to go, you know, this is an all right version, but this is a really good version, like just to see the specifics of what changes. Um and the science, so to your question about like what's good and who's doing it well. Um I do think we're probably guilty, certainly, you know, as people who write guidelines, I'm conscious when I run workshops. Often the examples I show are funny because it makes a greater impact, and also of necessity they're short because you need it to fit on a slide, and for people to be able to read it in five or ten seconds. Um, But actually, one of the things that really works about a tone of voice is it does work. It's very diffuse. You know, you can't really point at it. Often can't point at it and go, you know, there, there is being amazing. Like sometimes you can. But I think, like, brands like... So, like, National Trust has a great tone of voice. But that's more about it's just consistently really good Um, and has a sort of freshness to it and, like, doesn't tend to fall into the sorts of clichés that you tend to get in that sort of, you know, writing about place or tourism or visiting or da-da-da. It'd be very difficult to point to individual sentences and go there and, like look how amazing that is but just the overall impression is of just like a really distinctive interesting confident voice so I think that is the thing like you just get a sense of it being like working as a whole um there's a lovely brand called the brew tea company in manchester who again i work with but i didn't develop their tone of voice i just helped them sort of codify it a bit because they were, you know, growing and taking on more writers. And they just got a brilliant instinct for every single nook and cranny they had thought about. And you just get this feeling of like care across everything. Um that's when it works best, I think. Just when it's sort of really deeply involved in all the stuff.
0: I like to think of it when you don't it's the point you don't notice it. Like if, yeah. if something's trying too hard, like all the brands that tried to, to copy what innocence did you noticed it because it seemed out of place
1: yeah yeah and there's a weird thing there isn't it yeah I've simultaneously well it sort of does draw attention to itself like often people share stuff you know people are always taking photos of tony's chocolate lonely or painter or um brew tea company turned up on linkedin a few weeks ago because people go look this is really nice and they share it but at the same time it's not conspicuously going. Look at me, I'm amazing. Like, um, that's sort of not the reason people share it. They share it because it's an example of care of the deep care and attention to the details. Usually,
0: um, yeah, yeah. Oatly is my other example of who I think does it well. Like their current marketing campaign of getting your dad to stop drinking milk. Yeah, plant milk. It may it stopped and made me laugh. But the tone of voice is consistent through everything that they do.
1: Yeah, and they're I I really like Oakley because they're like they just really write a lot. There's <laughs> <laughs> just a load of words. They're like you know without yeah, and that is quite rare now. Like or certainly it's distinctive. Like there's quite a minimalist vibe going on, you know because. Or maybe it's a digital thing, you know. People don't want to scroll forever or whatever it is. But they're just like not afraid to just keep talking, mm-hmm. and it's a really good quality and funny. And partly, I suppose, because they got cartons. You start with that long thin carton. You just fill it with words.
0: I think that because it's like words that serve a purpose. Because when you're making your cup of tea, you stand and hold the carton.
1: Yeah, yeah. You sit, stare at it on the breakfast table, yeah. and you'll just read anything. Yeah.
0: Because you're not looking at anything else at that point. Yeah. 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 Words for a purpose. Right. So you mentioned voice box. And on your website, you say it's radical. So I want to know what makes it radical. But also, when I was watching your video, it felt more like you get to play a game while developing your tone of voice, which seemed quite nice. But I'm guessing that comes from your training background.
1: Yeah. It comes from a couple of things. I now realise, looking at it, that what I've essentially made is like a Dungeons and Dragons style <laughs> things in a box, <laughs> which is deeply uncool to admit. But, you know, that's the my 13-year-old me reasserting itself. Like, it's just nice to have a box and you open it up and there's books and cards and stuff. Um, so start at the beginning. So voice box is a method to help people create a brand's tone of voice Uh, and that is either so people who use it tend to be either brands wanting to do their own voice um, or a lot of the people who buy it are copywriters or agencies uh, wanting a tool to help them help their clients. Um, I say it's radical because nobody else had come up with a, a sort of defined method or a sort of approach to do it. And it, I, I felt like, I felt like, we, like tone of voice did seem to be treated like quite a dark art. And I was surprised when I left the writer and like started working myself and sort of, so was basically hanging around with a lot of copywriters. Um like how they would sort of quite often admit to me that like they were a little bit scared of tone of voice or, you know, found it difficult or they sort of knew what they were trying to do, but they couldn't articulate it to their clients. And I just thought, this is a bit mad, like, or like just extraordinary that we haven't, either as an industry, he says, talking on behalf of all copywriters, like that there wasn't a sort of like an approach that people could use. So partly it started out from that, Like, is there just a more effective way of explaining what tone of voice is and approaching thinking about it that is more helpful and helps people to chop it up in their heads? And especially because, you know, when you get this one, when you speak to clients about it, it used to be that either that idea that things could be formal or chatty, like funny or serious, like it was really binary. And you always want to go, no, well, there's more nuance than that. So I was like, how do how do you create a way of talking about that nuance that isn't just sort of overwhelming? So it started with this idea that uh, from looking at all the brands I'd worked with and then all the other brands I could find who were doing, who you would point out and say they had a tone of voice that I reckon, I think you could say there are 11 basic voices. I call them the primary voices. Um, You know, the simplifier, the fire starter, the straight talker, like so, each sort of chopped up into. um, By voices, I really mean like distinctive styles of writing. They're not like brand archetypes. Um, And then, if you start with the idea that there are 11 different types, you can then go, all right, so we want to be a bit of this one and a bit of that one. Um, And so, and then the process to, so there's that, there's a sort of framework, if you like. And then the way of discussing which of those voices might be right or testing them out, I've just deliberately turned into some ex- like fun games and exercises, including having what I call the <laughs> tone of voice tarot cards. Because, like, just everyone knows what to do with cards. Like, you put them on the table and, like, people are just away. They know how to shuffle them and sort them and they just get on with it. Like, it's really sort of... so one of the things I've really missed about like doing stuff virtually, is that thing of playing with cards on the table is really instinctive, an incredibly effective way of um, sorting information, working out what you think and negotiating with other people and having conversations. It's just not the same if you're dragging things around on a Zoom screen or a mural board. It's all right, but it's not the same.
0: I bet having the cards uh, avoids loads of arguments.
1: Yeah, it does yeah um so deliberately like each because again if you ask people what they want to sound like they'll say the same words you know we want to be clear or we want to be honest or we want to be human or we want to be innovative or blah blah blah. Uh, so the idea with the cards is like well here's a 100 words that describe different tones like mellifluous or spiky or like they're just slightly more unusual words so that people can go yes or no or oh interesting i hadn't thought about it like that um, you know and then when you get natural or conversational or everyday like for instance three words that describe the same essentially the same thing it's interesting to see why people might be drawn to one over the other and you can talk about well, what's the nuance there so like really that's like a great way of just getting into the detail of people's thinking
0: I like that and I like that Oh, actually, no. Well, I want to ask: Is there one of the? Pri- is there any of the primary voices where you think where people have gone? Yeah, this is definitely us, and you've looked at them and gone, no.
1: <laughs> That's a really good question. So, uh, among the eleven voices, is the warm friend, is one, and the fire starter is another. So, the warm friend friend is pretty self-explanatory. You know, it's just that nice, warm, reassuring, everyday. Conversational customer service voice. Um, nobody really wants to be that one because Aww. it sounds a bit dull. But really, like lots of brands, just doing that well is a superpower. But like, actually, doing that well is is quite tricky. Without, you know, trying too hard or being too chatty or being a bit cutesy or da da da. Lots of people want to be the fire starter, like spiky in your face brew dog sort of deliberately annoying like just the disruptive voice uh far fewer people actually are that so there's often a conversation there about you know um like testing that out okay so and again that process of okay so you say you want to be that let's see what that really looks like in writing Like, and are you committed to that like are you really comfortable with it you know actually if you show people what they're what their website homepage might look like if it was full-on firestarter. They're like, actually, no, we don't want to be that.
0: (laughs) I think people must love the idea of being, like, the disruptor and being a disruptor brand is, like, it's the in thing, isn't it? To be a disruptor brand. But it must be so hard to get right.
1: Yeah, and also, like, you know, we want to be disruptive, but also our audience is everybody. Like, that's usually what's going on. You know, we want to be seen as disruptive like because it's cool. <laughs> uh, like, fine. But, you know, then you've got to really commit to the people who you are actively going to annoy. Like, who are they? What are they going to be pissed off about? Uh, why does that, why is that a benefit to you? Like, they're all like sort of positioning questions, really. Um, yeah, so great if you can, like, if you really can commit to that. Um, but you probably can't commit to it if you're making like if you're making like motorbikes yes um you know something that's very tribal if you're making toothbrushes probably not
0: i would like to see a disruptive toothbrush
1: <laughs> <laughs> there's a challenge to the startup venture capital community
0: a disruptive toothbrush but this is about This is about language and behavioral change, which it was your blog on recycling cups that made me think that this is all about behavioral change, because that you'd said in there that we should call them landfill cups. And I was like, yeah, we totally should. Why has no one thought of that before? There's a question in this. How can brands be more thoughtful about their their language to encourage behavioral change?
1: Um, I I think the answer is probably in the question it's just like be more thoughtful isn't it like uh, that moment of like I remember thinking oh look you know given that I'm a writer I've always been a writer and my job is literally to pay close attention to words Like I was just standing in a coffee queue one day and I was like oh my god like it doesn't match up does it the language of the language of use and throwing away is different to the language of recycling. You know, we have a rubbish bin and a recycling bin. We don't have a landfill bin. And uh, so the recycling tells you where it's going and what's going to happen to it afterwards. Like rubbish just says, you know, what's the status of this thing to me now in my life? Like they're not equally thought through and they're not sort of equivalent. Um, Oh God! You know, and it was in the news at the time. I mean, it feels sort of like obvious now, Um, because there there was going to be some like attacks on takeaway cups. It's like, oh, you know, so the name we give them is all about their immediate convenience. It's not about the consequence But I just think you have to be constantly vigilant to that stuff, Um, which is, I mean, there's like, well, no, it's endlessly complicated, isn't it? Because at the moment, that then. People who don't like being thoughtful and considerate. Like, oh, no, that's just being woke. <laughs> so, which was, you know, 20 years ago, that was politically correct, was the same idea that, you know, we shouldn't be mindful of the consequences of the words we speak. We should just be allowed to be thoughtless about it. Like, obviously, just take care.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it, it's really sad that people don't want to be thoughtful and considerate selfish but we can't it's speak. hard isn't it
1: yeah well it's it. it's hard isn't it because then you have to often admit that maybe you were wrong or there was something you didn't notice or there was a bias or an assumption was sort of that you were missing and we don't like we we're, we're not programmed to cope with that very well or put our hands up
0: no we don't like getting things wrong
1: <laughs> yeah especially well if you know and if you're a brand and that might have consequences for oh blimey you know our whole proposition or that you know the way we design or make our products is you know you can (laughs) that's the behavioral change thing isn't it you start with something very small like literally a word and then the repercussions can be absolutely massive which is obviously the power of it but then also that's
0: yeah yeah definitely right because we've got 20 minutes left i really want to talk about your newsletter okay that's the bit i find really exciting uh hang on let me grab your newsletter questions because it is like it's one of the few that i bother to open each week because you get billions of emails but it's so good so um what has been your decision making process on your newsletter and how you produce it
1: so first thanks very much that's really nice to hear um without boring you with my own first world problems i'm constantly slightly don't know what i'm doing with the newsletter and that which on one hand i don't mind like partly that's what's great about it for me is its constant commitment to like just sort of fumbling around with the things that i find interesting and quite often it's only a few weeks later that i'll go oh look that connects to that and that's interesting because of this and da that da, da. Um, but i do so i quite often feel as you know, given my job, I should have, a more, like, a more structured approach to my own content.
0: Um,
1: so, partly, so it's a weekly newsletter. I've recently called it the Journal of Messy Thinking. Um, I've been writing it for two years, pretty much weekly. Uh, for those first two years, it didn't really have a, it na- didn't have a name at all, which, again, just felt like terrible. It was Nick's email newsletter. Jesus. Um, Hi, pay me to name your products and services. Would you like Nick's weekly email newsletter? Um, I've forgotten the question. So in a way, I don't have a plan. I write about what I find interesting and uh, over time what I've found. So obviously it started being here are some interesting things about language, brands, marketing, da, 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 that I thought my clients would be interested in. Like the, a lot of people on, a lot of people who get my newsletter have been to workshops that I've run. So, you know, they've met me, they've seen uh, how I work and they ticked a box on their feedback forms. So they sort of were in that sort of world of knowing about tone of voice and knowing about copywriting and stuff. Um, so I started with things that I thought would be interesting to them. But I like as time has got on, I've just noticed that the more I just indulge my own, follow my own nose and like look at what I think is interesting, the more people like it and respond. Uh, Then about a year ago I stumbled on um, this format based on a Native American poet called Sherman Alexie, uh, wrote a poem called Sonnet with Blackbird, which is not a sonnet, it's just a list of 14 numbered things um I, I really like it um and I'm quite partial to lists uh, so I wrote a newsletter in which I said look here's Sherman Alexis' poem and I wrote that newsletter as a list <laughs> 14 numbered things um so that it was a homage to his, his poem and that sort of stuck so now like the nameless newsletter then has a sort of format and weirdly the format was how I found the voice Uh, and it's really difficult to describe somehow having this format of 14 numbered things means that I find connections between the items that I wasn't expecting to find or it sets up a certain type of rhythm which I can make make certain types of jokes which are just particularly pleasing to me (laughs) so this is a very rambling way of saying um, there isn't really a conscious plan and yet something about a commitment to following a miscellaneous path and the format means that it has quite a strong identity. It just sort of creates it, which I'm not quite in control of. I quite like
0: that. I really enjoy it. And I think when you said that you'd worked in publishing, it made more sense to me because I think it reads like a magazine.
1: And That's interesting. Yeah.
0: I think the more if when I look at the um, email newsletters that I bother to open and some of them I pay for they're so good they're like it's because I see them as magazines so therefore I think they're worth paying for
1: that's interesting yeah and I think that's sort of hardwired into me without me even realizing it I'll like treat it like a bit of a magazine yeah um, and that and again, it's so fascinating about what we like, isn't it? Like a lot of people say that you know, it's the only email, I only email letter I subscribe to, or you know, it's the only one I really read. Uh, and yet, you know, if you were following all the advice for writing a good newsletter, it would be all about finding out exactly what your audience wants and giving them actionable content every week. I literally do none of that, and yet it works.
0: You know, but I think so that because you don't do like the traditional marketing email it's not a marketing email occasionally you you sell something in there or you mention something that you're doing but it seems really natural that you would do that and i think that's why it stands out and people I, I don't know your open rates but i'm assuming that's why people want to read it
1: yeah and i don't know my open rates <laughs> <laughs> i do know my open rates um <laughs> yeah and then, yeah, and then, uh, so well, maybe you can help. I, like, how do you grow a newsletter like that? Like, I've got a lovely following of a couple of thousand people. Not really sure how you how you describe or explain it or grow that. And is that a problem? There's, a, there's an interesting thing there about, you know, I've got an audience, they're interested. We interact a lot. Um,
0: you tell them to sign up to it and they get more interaction on the newsletter. Oh, my God, your pop-up made me laugh
1: was so, like the one about the pig on a skateboard?
0: Yeah. That is the best newsletter sign-up. If I wasn't already signed-up, I would sign-up just on the strength of that.
1: <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> like, I'm going to write that down. More pigs on skateboards.
0: More pigs on the skateboards.
1: There, there's an actionable insight for your <laughs> podcast audience. More pigs on seen,
0: skateboards. I've never seen a pop-up that's put a pig on a skateboard and said, you know what, this pop-up's annoying. There you go.
1: And so weirdly, that came about just because um, the illustrator who's working my on my website had created this animation of a pig on a skateboard that I hadn't been able to find a place to use anywhere else. And so the web designer stuck it on the the pop-up box with some board. Like I'd put, I'd written some serious copy to go underneath it, and then when I looked at it, I was like, "It looks ridiculous. How can I not mention? How can it go?" Massive picture of a pig on the skateboard underneath, you know, please sign up for my weekly email and you will we'll send you da da. da it's like, You've got to speak about the elephant on the pig on the skateboard in the room.
0: Yeah. But it does everything a good pop up should do. It makes people pay attention to it and not just close it down because it's But it not
1: hate it. Yeah. Yeah. That's the bar, isn't it, for pop ups. Don't hate this. Don't hate this. It's possibly the bar for most marketing.
0: (laughs) Yeah, don't hate it. Oh, how is your broken leg, by the way?
1: My broken leg. Frankly, my broken leg has been getting more attention than it deserves. (laughs) (laughs) I had to take it out the other day to the hospital and the physio and like, God, uh, it's fine, thanks. Uh, It's getting to the point where... Um, so for people who don't know I had a spectacularly spectacularly embarrassing accident and tripped over in the garden and broke my leg really quite badly um, so it's like double lockdown lockdown within lockdown can't go out because of lockdown also can't leave this room because broken leg <laughs> um, it's getting to the point now where I realise that so it's out the cast it's getting better and like some days, I realise I've hardly noticed it's painful.
0: <laughs> I like that. It's better, by it's not hurting.
1: Yeah, do you know, I sort of imagined, I think I was imagining it would be like finishing a race and there'd be like this big finish line with balloons and, you know, party poppers like, yay, your leg is better. <laughs> of course, it doesn't work like that, does it? It just gradually fades into the background until you realise that the thing that you was taking over your entire life has just sort of faded away.
0: Much like we hope lockdown will do.
1: Yes, let's hope that my broken leg is a metaphor for how lockdown will ease and we'll gradually notice and we'll suddenly go, oh, do you remember when we literally did everything on computers and we're basically all going mad uh, and the entire world stopped? God, it seems funny now, doesn't it? Not funny, not funny, funny.
0: Funny, weird, yeah.
1: Funny, weird, yeah. In the same way that we're sitting here now going, it feels extraordinary that we just used to hug strangers <laughs> or gather in groups of more than two. It feels like a, uh,
0: a just I can't fever dream. That, that's my aim for lockdown finishing. Going to, it's not the kids being in school, it's going to the pub.
1: I was watching, I can't remember what I was watching. It was just some fairly napped sitcom last week and there was a scene... In a restaurant, well, the restaurant wasn't even key to the scene. It was just they happened to be sitting around a table. I properly like missed it up. I'm like, oh my god, look at them in a public space, close proximity to each other. It just seemed like just the most magical paradise.
0: <laughs> We've been watching It's a Sin, and I'm like, look at all those people in that pub, so close to each other, dancing.
1: I know it's weird, isn't it? Yeah. Ha! I don't feel like I'm giving you very coherent answers to these questions.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right, I've got two more questions for you, two more proper questions. Um, one is about your book about reading, because it's told me I do reading wrong.
1: Okay, interesting.
0: the rules on reading.
1: Um, so, yes. So again, this started, it started as a conversation on Twitter. Uh, a chap that I didn't know said something like, hey, readers, do you have any tips for reading more books? Um, so I was like, oh yeah, and I wrote a tweet. Then I wrote another tweet. Then I wrote, like, after I'd hit reply about seven or eight times, I was like, oh look, it turns out I've got quite a lot of things to say about this. So then I did a newsletter about it and I just got loads of responses, like the most responses I ever had to any newsletter. Um, with like quite a few people going, God, blimey, that's really liberating. I've never never thought about how I read before, and it turns out I do have lots of like assumptions or hang-ups or habits that actually I'd be, it'd be interesting to think about. Um, so I turned that into a little book. So it's just like based on I used to be, I used to, I, I basically made reading a real chore for myself, and over a process of realising that well you can like I'm an adult I can choose to read exactly how I want you know I don't have to start I don't have to finish any book if I don't want to I can read as many books as I like at the same time I can just literally do what I want it's my life my eyes my time and so I just sort of carried out a few experiments in reading and so the book is just like really about like different opportunities and different ways to think about how you read so what's your What's your reading thing?
0: I'm gonna be honest here. I lost a debate in our house because of it. Because I always laugh at my husband that he's got twenty-five books on the go at once. And I start a book and I finish it and then I read the next one. But I read more books than he does. But he's just and I'm like, how can you jump between two stories? It's just mad. It's madness. But yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. I, I lost that debate. I'm like Nick, Parker, okay, I can't tell you off for it anymore.
1: Um, yeah, I and mean, it is weird, isn't it? Because, like, you know, on an intuitive level, you're like, yeah, you know, read one book, then read the next book. We never think of that. Like, we don't think of Netflix like that, or websites, <laughs> or, or literally anything else in our lives. Um. You know, I've started reading this website. I'm going to finish it before I click on anything else.
0: That would be a very long, boring day.
1: <laughs> and we sit down in the evening, like when you watch telly, you literally flick, like, even if, like in the old days when there were channels, um, you know, you'd watch half an hour of one thing, then the next thing would come up, then the next thing. And, like, we're just, like, we're perfectly capable of having dozens of different things going on in our heads at any one time. But with books, somehow, we feel like it's different. Well, there's a responsibility. Uh, I just wanted to say, notice that you don't have to do that you can read in lots of different ways and you can incorporate reading in your life in lots of different ways
0: yeah absolutely it also made me stop reading wives and daughters because i found it really boring and i didn't want to admit that i found a classic really boring so i stopped reading it and i sent it back to the charity shop <laughs> genius and a lot of
1: it is that like, isn't it like we like books tend to we tend to give them the authority you know it's a classic you know I don't like I'm not allowed to feel like this or I feel wrong for feeling like this about it
0: it's like when you find an English teacher who doesn't like Shakespeare it's like, oh, yeah.
1: so that was it so and again partly it was partly writing the book was also a sort of liberating thing of realising I had lots of things I would like to say but I didn't really want to write a big book I didn't want like you know this wasn't like go away and do loads of research and find out what lots of other people think about the subjects and what's the neuroscience because that's always what you have to do if you're writing a book these days is you know what happens take my subject now put people in an MRI scanner and watch what happens to their brains while they're doing the thing I'm writing this book about um and I just thought oh, well I don't need to do that I can just write you know these 40 or 50 really short little things Like I say each one's a page and it's a dead short book and I can do it really quickly and then having a broken leg really helped because um, if everyone, so here's a productivity hack. <laughs> Maybe you want to finish a book, break your leg, and <laughs> you'll stay in bed until it's done.
0: That's an extreme way. And also, you've just described turning a Twitter thread into a book there.
1: Yeah, that's also true.
0: Yeah. <laughs> okay, last question. And it's because it's called the Brewtime podcast. I, fe- I felt I needed like a pop witch. Badger versus beaver question. <laughs> that's where it's come from, sir. So, cup of tea, milk first or water first?
1: It's got to be water first. Because <laughs> that's how science works. <laughs> so otherwise the water's not as hot and then your tea comes out rubbish.
0: I've had a scientist explain the science behind it to me as well. And I feel like I might name and shame the people that put milk first in.
1: But did you know, I was probably 30 before I figured that out. <laughs> it seems really obvious now, doesn't it? Like Milk is cold and boiling water is hot. <laughs> it's just
0: yeah. the way you've made it, and then you leave the tea bag in until it goes like a really dark brown.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I did some, so here's a, like adding to the tea factoids. Um, I did some work with the tea company, not the brew tea company, another one, um, who were talking about... Uh, so when you put a tea bag in and you squeeze it to get the flavour out, they're like it doesn't squeeze flavour out; it just squeezes the colour out.
0: Is that true?
1: If you like, the only way to get your tea to be stronger is to leave the tea bag in for longer. There's no shortcut of squeezing it. Then you just get weak coloured, weak tea that happens to be dark coloured. <laughs> and as soon as I noticed that, it's like oh, they're right. Like this tea doesn't taste any stronger, but it looks like mud.
0: I'm going to remember that. I did not know that. I'm going to remember that one because I make cups of tea and then wander off and do something else and come back 10 minutes later.
1: And they're always the best ones, aren't
0: they? Yeah. Unless you live in a hard water area and then you've got a spoon that's gone. Uh,
1: that's has thats true. And then you're like, oh, I'm going to get a water filter. Then you feel really pretentious for having a water filter just to make tea. <laughs> I might just be oversharing now.
0: <laughs> Thank you so much for doing this. I'm so glad a name dropped you in Lottie's episode. (laughs) A huge, massive thanks to Nick for giving me an hour of his time for that conversation. I hadn't. Absolutely brilliant. This doesn't feel like work making this podcast especially when I have conversations like that I hope you guys listening have enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed making it um, as ever there is um, a nice download workbook slash mini course that you can get to help you create more content in less time that is on the link in the show notes please do do go sign up to Nick newsletter because you won't regret it it'll be like a little piece of loveliness that lands in your inbox each week and it's such a joy to read and how else will you get to have updates on Nick's leg um and yeah so tune in next week where I will be having my own solo episode chatting about more things blog and content related and I will see you next week